Pathways podcast. I'm your host, Brittany Carey. Today, I have Des Martinez on to talk about the Child Care Development Planning Council, or the Local Planning Council, LPC. Des is the LPC coordinator for our county. She has over a decade of administrative and organizational leadership experience. Additionally, she has over seven years of teaching and instructional leadership experience. The LPC is funded by the California Department of Social Services through a contract with the County Health and Human Services Agency. The County Superintendent of Schools and the County Board of Supervisors are the appointing and governing bodies of the council. In this conversation, we discuss the role of the LPC in the county, who is involved in the council, and some recent wins the council has had in making recommendations to the county. I have personally been a part of the LPC for the past year. It's been an amazing experience to collaborate with a bunch of different voices within our county and within education. I'm so excited to share this insightful conversation, so let's get into it. Hello and welcome back to the Conscious Pathways podcast. Today I have Des with me. Thank you so much for joining me. Hi, Brittany. Thank you so much for having me. Yay. Um, my first question that I always ask uh, my, my guests when they come on is, tell me a little bit about your background in early childhood education um, and tell us a little bit about how you got to your role as the LPC coordinator. Okay, let's see. I've been in the world of early learning and care since 2005. I started as an aide. Um, then an assistant, then a lead teacher, made my way to site director. Uh, I did some research here and there at a national level, did some assessment, which was really fun. And then I just came back to directing work and joined a county office of education to work a little bit more on things like grants and funding and the planning council. Wow, so you really did do a little bit of everything. (laughs) (laughs) That is amazing. And why did you decide on early childhood? What kind of drew you to the field? You know, I think I had been interested in the world of education since I was a young child. Mm-hmm. I have an aunt that works in education, and she would bring me to her office during the summers, and I would volunteer and do things like filing, making copies, um, transporting things, loading boxes, so easy stuff like that. And I just found the people to be lovely. They were always wonderful, um, always available to help. And even when I first started my first job in the world of early learning care, I was a toddler teacher, an assistant teacher. And I found the teachers there to be extremely helpful. I found the coordinator and director to be supportive and always willing to bring me up as a professional. Uh, They gave me insight and recommendations about which coursework to take in college, how to grow in my career. It's just a wonderful field. I love the people I work with. And then obviously the families and the children is where it's at. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, I, I love that. I love that your, your first experiences were so positive. And I, again, like just working with the kids and working with the families, it really does bring so much joy to the job. And just every day is just a new kind of experience that comes with it. Um, We're just constantly learning in in that environment. So thank you. Um, So you work with the LPC, um, so our Local Child Care and Development Planning Council, or the LPC as we call it. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about the kind of scope and work of what the LPC does? Absolutely. It's it's an interesting group. It's a state mandated body designed to provide advisement to both the County Board of Supervisors 
in the county superintendent of schools on all things related to early learning and care services from birth through age 12, actually. And a lot of people are surprised that it goes all the way up to age 12 because when we think of early learning, of course it has that early learning and care, we think mm -hmm. of zero to five. But that last piece, early learning and care, includes before and after school care as well. Mm. And so some of LPC's biggest tasks are their needs assessment and planning for addressing some of their highest needs or prioritized needs. Mm. Love that. And so for our county, what kind of needs would you see in that in this kind of area or what kind of are the needs that are most kind of highest priority, would you say? I would say in our county and honestly throughout the state of California and even beyond California throughout the U.S., one of our highest needs is workforce. We have a dwindling workforce and you see it out in the media. You see childcare crisis, workforce needs. Um, a lot of, well, some investments have been made to support for the advancement of our workforce. So when we talk mm -hmm. about training incentives or stipends, um, helping those who are interested in taking college coursework or even getting degrees, permits, credentialing, there have been some investments made in that category, mm -hmm. if you will. One of the things that are missing is increasing workforce salary. Mm. In the state of California, we are able to take a look at the average workforce wage of our childcare workers, our childcare workforce. And specifically within our county, what I found is that the average childcare worker makes about 35,000 annually. Mm. And when you compare that to our county's self-sufficiency wage, let's say, for example, a family of four, that self-sufficiency wage, family of four, two young children, is 118000 So you mm. can imagine why we have issues in terms of um, recruiting and retaining our workforce members. That's mm -hmm. certainly our highest need. Absolutely. And, you know, as you're working in early childhood and in working in with this population, we know that having that continuation of care and having consistency within you know, the workforce is really important for their overall kind of development, right? Those attachment and building those relationships and you can build relationships with families. And that also makes it really difficult when, you know, we have these issues kind of retaining our workforce and continuing doing professional development with our workforce um, when it's just kind of a constant kind of, you know, revolving door of educators. It makes it really difficult. Um, and as you're mentioning, it's also really difficult for educators to, even if they're passionate and really want to stay in the field, it makes it really difficult, that kind of financial barrier to continue within this field. Um, and so that I know is a problem across the United States, um, but especially in states like ours in California, where the cost of living is so high um, and the cost of just pretty much everything is so incredibly high, it, it, it doesn't quite match up. <laughs> to where the wages are to where the cost of living is. So I agree, that's probably one of our, our biggest issues that we see uh, within the workforce here uh, within California. Um, so given that, how does the LPC kind of advocate and support the early learning com community? Well, they do a few things, especially in our county. They, they have a few highlights. 
Before I get specifically into that question, I want to I want to highlight who LPC is. Mm-hmm. LPC is a council, right? Child Care and Development Planning Council. And this council is mandated to have specific group categories. Mm-hmm. The categories include um, providers, child care providers, so those delivering early learning care services. Mm-hmm. They include parents, those receiving early learning care services. And it also includes community and public agency representatives. So this can include individuals who are supporting early learning care services. They can be the ones preparing the workforce, like institutes of higher education, our community colleges, our universities. This could even include those who are uh, maybe funding and even regulating early learning care services. So when we think about wanting to get feedback, input, and even recommendations about how to best approach some of the most difficult challenges within our field, it is so important that this group of individuals is being brought together, those delivering the services, those receiving the services, those funding and even regulating the services. That is the beauty of the LPC, of the Local Planning Council, is this diverse group of individuals who are involved in the field in different ways. And so we don't necessarily use the word advocate, rather we say advise. Mm -hmm. They advise our community, they advise our, um, you know, our board of supervisors, our Mm -hmm. county superintendent of schools. And all of this information eventually makes its way up to the state, to the California Department of Education, Department of Mm -hmm. Social Services, our legislature. So in terms of how they support the early learning and care community, they're part of that community. They take Mm -hmm. a look at what the greatest needs are, and they provide recommendations about how to best approach Mm -hmm. the challenges, mitigate or even overcome some of those issues. Yeah, I think I'll pause there. I'm not sure if I fully answered your question. Maybe ask your question again and let's see if I've made it. <laughs> no, I think you you answered that question and and then some, right? Um, especially going into who is the LPC, um, I think is really important conversation because, um, you know, the LPC does a lot of really great work and it's important that all the voices are are at the table and that we're looking at who's who's at the table and whose voices are being heard and I think the way it's done is done in the way is done in a way that is as equitable as it can possibly be, right? By providing a platform for all these different voices to have a, a space to kind of voice concerns or to give feedback or as, as to advise, as you said, too. Um, and I know for um, our, our LPC currently had a pretty big win in what's something that we've advised for, uh, which was the child care blueprint that we recently did. Um, and that was that was fairly recent, right? About August, September, right? You got it. Yes, it was just approved uh, September, early September, mid-September. Mm-hmm. We got those uh, recommendations that were initially mm-hmm. made by the planning council. Um, those particular recommendations were used as a foundation at the county level to create what they're calling a child care blueprint. It mm-hmm. got approved unanimously by our county board of supervisors. And they have even unanimously approved some funding to be allocated to support the stepping stones of that process, right? Not all Mm. of it all at once, but they've started that process and they've even started to fund it, which I think is really important. 
that is really important. And that's, that's a really big win. And that's something that I know has been worked on for years and has been really a big deal and a really big push. And of course, to get that unanimous, um, you know, support on that is something that is, is really big and really important and really amazing uh, that was, was pushed forward. So I know, you know, the whole LBC was really proud of that. And that's just, it just kind of felt like a really good win of just those recommendations being seen, those recommendations being heard. I know there were a lot of conversations around what to recommend and just being really diligent and being really conscientious of the populations that we are working with. And again, making sure that everyone has an opportunity to be at the table, right? Um, so specifically within the LPC, there are different roles, right? So what is your specific role within the LPC? Well, I serve as the LPC coordinator. So the state gives some funding to each county so that they can staff with at least one person to coordinate mm -hmm. the process, basically making sure that uh, those who need to be part of the planning council, part of those diverse voices are that we are maintaining our state mandates, that we're submitting our reports on time, that mm -hmm. we're going through the appropriate channels. You know, it is a government bound body. Mm -hmm. And so there are a lot of regulations that we have to follow. Uh, and so that's part of my job as a coordinator, making sure that I'm bringing the group together, that we are working towards um, obviously our goals and recommendations, the things that we prioritize, but also mm -hmm. within the framework of the state's mandates, regulations. Mm -hmm. I also act as a, uh, what do I, what do we call it? like a liaison between mm -hmm. our county and the state. So some of the information that I gather from the LPC members, mm -hmm. uh, I, I share that information when the LPC coordinators across the state meet with the California Department of Social Service or the Department of Education um, or even different legislatures or finance department. All of this information, you know, it has to go somewhere. So I, mm -hmm. uh, I don't know that I articulated that very well, but basically <laughs> I'm trying to say that I act as a liaison between the state and the county and mm -hmm. maybe even between the council and county staffers. Okay, perfect. And each each county gets one LPC coordinator, correct? Or are there multiple in, in some counties, depending on how you know big each county is? Each county has one LPC coordinator, mm -hmm. but not all counties are funded in such a way that allows us mm -hmm. to have a full-time LPC coordinator. Gotcha. So okay. what we find is that many of the coordinators wear different hats. They're mm -hmm. managing not just the planning council, but also various grants, state and local level mm -hmm. grants or contracts. So some of the other things within my role outside of LPC mm -hmm. is Workforce Pathways Grant, is UPK Mixed Delivery mm -hmm. Planning Grant, is supporting the professional learning throughout our county, um, mm -hmm. managing that and ensuring that we are meeting the needs of our Quality Counts California Consortium and um, the quality rating and improvement system within our mm -hmm. county. Wonderful. Yeah, you have 
you're pretty much in in everything and i love that you get to kind of see the the rollout especially with california and rolling out you know upk and rolling out tk um it, it kind of seems like you have a lot of visibility into all the different um things that go into making such a big program like upk or tk happen because <laughs> um, there is there's a lot of, of nuance to it and i think there was a lot of confusion with the rollout so i think your ability to be able to see all these different aspects of it um, is kind of really helps especially with the role of, of lpc and bringing everyone together and what are we recommending for um, i know you've been a really just amazing resource uh for for anyone who's just had questions or has been confused about a thing um, so I know I've, I've always appreciated that as, um, you know, being within the LPC and just knowing like, okay, someone knows what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I don't always know what's going on, but I try my best to share information <laughs> that I've learned <laughs> collectively. Luckily, yeah. the LPC is a collective group who all mm -hmm. has, you know, information from different sources. We can bring mm -hmm. it together and, and figure it out as a, as a group which is yes. another another beauty of the LPC is just the diversity of us. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yes, yes. I know I've been really impressed with, like I said, the diversity of the LPC and who's included on that. You know, like you said, there's providers, there's community members, there's, you know, all these different, you know, facets of people coming from all different, you know, directions. Um, and it's pretty fascinating just to see how everyone interprets different information or, how you know just basically you know, how they filter that through their lens of how of their experience and it's just so wild there's things that i didn't even think about um you know that i hear from other people and it's just really great it's really inspiring to be on it to you know again that wealth of diversity and voices um has been really just fascinating um so i know your role within lpc and then we have other roles within lpc or other um kind of smaller subgroups of the lpc um, do you want to take a moment to kind of talk about the roles of these kind of smaller subgroups that we have under the umbrella of the larger LPC? Absolutely. Yes. So every county does this a little bit differently. Uh, one of the nice things is that the state allows autonomy for each county to identify what the highest needs and priorities are within their community. So in our particular council, we have a few different subcommittees. One of them is a public policy committee where a group comes together. Um, it's a smaller subset of the overall council, but the smaller group comes together. They take a look at the up and coming assembly bills, Senate bills, identify those that would support some of the recommendations or priorities that have been identified by the council. And then we determine whether or not we want to move forward with asking for support from our local officials like our county board of supervisors. Another one of our, our committees is the needs assessment and child care plan committee. This is the group that takes a look at our current needs, needs assessment. So I pull together data based on the reporting requirements from the state and then I share it with this particular group. This group has the opportunity to ask questions, to ask for additional data to clarify certain points that maybe are specific to our particular county. And then they make that initial, uh, it, it's almost like that initial recommendation on how to best approach the needs mm -hmm. identified based on that data. And so they pull together, they're actually the ones that a smaller group that pulled together the child care plan 
And then of course it goes to the larger council for additional input, feedback and approval. Another one of our committees is the, it's a newer one and actually it's an ad hoc. So we haven't quite fully established it yet, mm -hmm. but we do have one called Public Private Resource Committee. And the idea is that we're bringing together both publicly funded and um, privately funded providers so that mm -hmm. they all have equitable access to these resources, but also that we have knowledge of the needs of both. Obviously, both are serving children and families, but they also both have different types of needs, different types of resources that uh, they would like and um, even different challenges that they're experiencing. Mm -hmm. So that's one that's it's a newer committee. We're not sure yet whether it's going to continue, whether it's okay. going to be made into a standing committee, but that's one. Another one is the UPK Mixed Delivery Planning Work Group. Mm -hmm. This one also is an ad hoc. It's not a fully established one. It's fairly new. We just got funding for this. So we're still in the process of establishing this. This one is specific to expanding early learning and care services in a mixed delivery model for three and four year olds specifically. Mm -hmm. It's tricky because that's where the funding is headed. That's where the mandate is for that three mm -hmm. and four year olds group. Although the council as a whole recognizes the, the need to expand access mm -hmm. to infants and toddlers. They're certainly one of our priorities as well. Mm -hmm. And lastly, we have an executive committee. The executive committee acts almost as a steering group, a steering mm -hmm. committee. It's made up of the, the subcommittee uh, chairs. So mm -hmm. the, for example, the public policy chair, the needs assessment, child care plan chair, all of the mm -hmm. chairs from those subcommittees come together in the executive committee. And then our ex officio members also come to that executive committee. And our ex officio members, they are members of the council, but they do not have a voting role. They provide guidance and advisement. They don't necessarily vote mm -hmm. and they are appointed by specific agencies. So, for mm -hmm. example, the County Office of Education has an appointee for our local first five has an appointee. Mm -hmm. Our Health and Human Service Agency has an appointee. Our Community Care Licensing Regional um, Office has an appointee. So mm -hmm. they also come to um, work through that steering committee or executive committee to keep the work going, flowing, mm -hmm. provide advisement and guidance. Got it. Thank you. That was so thorough. <laughs> I know that was quite a bit. Ah, I need to work on my elevator response, my elevator speech response. No, <laughs> I, I love that. Even though I already know this, I'm just captivated. I'm like, yes, tell me more about this. <laughs> I, I love that um, because, you know, our, our listeners might not be as uh, well versed in what an LPC is and who's who's a part of that. And so thank you so much for just breaking it down so beautifully <laughs> on um, exactly kind of everyone's roles and and how does that work. And of course, with the LPC, it we are governed by some rules. So we're, we're governed by the Brown Act and, and things like that. So we do have rules. We're not, you know, just out here. It's <laughs> wild westing it. Um, so I know for the meetings there under the Brown Act, right, all of our meetings must be, you know, public. So the public is available to come and make comment, correct? That's correct. Yes. Mm -hmm. That's one of the things about having a, a government 
funded or mandated group is that mm -hmm. there are certain rules and regulations we need to maintain, one of which is the Brown Act, which mm -hmm. is actually a wonderful rule. It ensures that our community members have advanced notice of all of our meetings mm -hmm. and that they have direct access to our agendas, uh, any discussion items, any voting items. They would know about it at least 72 hours in advance mm -hmm. so that if they would like to come and participate, participate uh, they can. Any one of our community members, even if they're not part of the council, are always welcome to attend either mm -hmm. the full council meetings or any of those subcommittees. Um, and I, again, I, I also agree. I think having that Brown Act and having it, you know, open and available because that's really what it's for. It's for the community to be as involved as, you know, they want to be in it and to have say in, you know, decisions that are being made or, or ideas that are being processed. Um, and you know it's just really important it's really important that that's you know available so i love that um so if someone were perhaps interested in gaining a little bit more information about um you know their local lpc or if they wanted to join a local lpc how might they go about that well each council has its own bylaws and determines how uh, they approach membership typically through application, and it, it, there is a whole process for it. We need to ensure that it's approved by the council itself. Uh, it does need to go through approval by the County Board of Supervisors and the County Superintendent of Schools, and then all gets submitted to the state, uh, to the California Department of Social Services. So mm -hmm. anybody who wants to know more about their particular local uh, planning council, they can go onto the California Department of Social Services website there's a particular subsite that lists all of the LPC coordinators. So the people mm -hmm. in my position, it lists all the coordinators as well as the LPC chairs, which mm -hmm. is really nice. Great. And I'll make sure to link that in part of the description of the podcast. So if you are interested in learning more about your own local planning council or how you join, or if you just want to reach out and learn more from, directly from your coordinators, um, I'll link that uh, address directly in our little description box below. Um, Des, I do want to thank you so much for joining. I have one final question for you that I ask all of my guests who come on the podcast. Um, and that is, how do you reimagine education? What does the future of education look like to you? Ah, that's a great question. I haven't thought through that. Let's see, reimagining education. So many things are coming to mind and I'm trying to identify <laughs> like, well, what is it that I want to say? There's so many things. So many. <laughs> First, I want to highlight the importance of early childhood education. You know, education doesn't start at kindergarten or even transitional kindergarten. It starts at birth or uh, prenatal. Uh, the, the, a child's brain develops over 90% in their first five years of life. So it is mm -hmm. so important to capitalize on those um, early experiences, on those adult-child interactions, on safe environments, mm. conducive to learning. Uh, so when I think about education as a whole, I hope that eventually one day we get to a point where uh, all of our community recognizes the importance of early learning and early childhood mm. education, brain development, the importance of the adult in early learning settings in all early learning settings including mm -hmm. center-based school-based family child care homes uh, mm -hmm. public private military whatever it might be 
it is so important to have those high quality interactions between uh, our youngest, most vulnerable learners and the adults mm -hmm. that care for them. That is so beautiful. And yes, I, I absolutely agree. I think sometimes we think of, you know, early childhood and we we think about the preschool age, you know, we, we think about, but we don't often think about like that kind of prenatal, that infant, that toddler, right? Because their brains are developing so much and it is so important that we are, are you know, advocating for their care and advocating for supportive adults to be a part of their care and development. Um, and, you know, as you mentioned before, it doesn't just stop at preschool. Early care goes all the way up into, I think early childhood goes up until about third grade, about eight. But even like the planning council recognizes that care extends beyond that too, right? Even after school care is really important for, you know, how are we enriching children? How are we, you know, bringing in supportive adults into children's lives? And how are we, you know, providing a safe space for children to learn that's still a part of their educational journey? And that is that is just so important and just there's so much that can be just built off of that one <laughs> statement that you made um because you know we are educators in, in early childhood and i think it's been shifting the last couple of years the mentality has been shifting slowly but surely to see early childhood and to see early childhood educators as you know the teachers that we are and and how important that is for you know the developing child and developing their relationship with education and relationship with school um it's really important so yes i i reimagine an education system that does definitely include our youngest learners as a part of that educational journey well thank you so much des for joining me on our podcast and i just i can't thank you enough this is amazing Thank you so much, Brittany, for having me. It was really fun to be here and talk with you about this. I'm obviously very passionate and have maybe too much to say about some of this stuff, but I appreciate <laughs> the time and space here today. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Conscious Pathways. If you're interested in finding out more about your local LPC, check out the links in the description of this episode. Please subscribe so you know exactly when a new episode drops. And don't forget to leave a rating or review. It really helps the podcast to reach more amazing listeners just like you. I'll be back next week for more transformative conversations in education. Bye!